Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hello, Olivia. Hey, Micah. How's it going? It's it's going pretty good. We've had a pretty productive week so far, I feel. Yeah, I feel like we have a lot of things in the works for the league, as there always is. But I'm very excited for how our spring is shaping up with everything that we've been playing. Yeah, yeah. We got a lot of meetings with a lot of cool people. We're going to be mysterious about it for now, Heck just yeah. to build the tension, you know? I mean, we'll just have to wait and see. Just We've have got to keep interviews on following in the along. works. We've got some educational stuff in the works. Eventually going to yes. launch that book. It's coming, guys. We swear. And you found some really amazing stuff this week. There were, A, a lot of member fonts that you found, like the member-exclusive fonts that I thought were really good. I have to say, I'm really impressed with those member-exclusive fonts that I found. A couple of them were free, so that's always great. But they're like fonts that I would use day-to-day, so these are very cool. If you're not a member, I don't know. This should make you think twice, (laughs) this little PSA here. Yeah, yeah. And you found some very cool links that everybody gets to see, too. What are we talking about with Nerd Alert this week? We did have a very exciting title for this episode. We we are talking about how a type designer actually starts making a font. We're not necessarily talking about the sketching part of it. We're talking about the font production part of it and what key letters that you use. And we're going to talk about why they're important and why they're widely used. Yeah. So stay That's tuned. really fun. I like that. All right. All right, so let's jump into our cool links. I was excited about this first one. I'm very excited about it. It comes from our friends over at the AIGA blog, Ion Design. It is titled, When Did Generic Grocery Brands Get So Good Looking? <laughs> I love this. It's, you know, talking about our everyday experience as a consumer and bringing design into it because I wholeheartedly believe I'm also not the only one that has noticed that Target, amongst many other brands, have like stepped up their private label design. And so they talk a lot about private label in this article. Private label is, for example, Target's own brand that they own. And it's basically their little direct-to-consumer situation where they create the products and they sell it. Plenty of grocery companies have their own private labels. Costco has Kirkland. Whole Foods has 365. They haven't always looked that spiffy. They were always kind of very okay looking or they'd imitate a lot of the existing big brands like Kraft or Nabisco. But in recent years, private label brands are like having their own moment to shine. And people are saying they're becoming similar to those really kind of glossy and trendy direct to consumer brands we see just like Warby Parker or Casper. What I think is really interesting, because this is looking a little bit more on the business side of things, is that typically people will be like, okay, I'll grab this really good looking thing, even if it is a little bit more expensive because it's really good looking and I'm attracted to this premiumness of it. Hmm. But with private label, the design isn't necessarily meant to get consumers to pay more for a product. It's meant to make consumers feel better about paying less. Talk about psychology with design. Very interesting. They're using it to change behavior. Fascinating. And so this shift to creating more private, to focus more on the private label brands has been coming into vogue more recently, to be honest. They're talking about 
that switch because Whole Foods can make more money if you buy their 365 brand. And so they're realizing it's worth investing in it to kick their business up. But it's just really interesting. I think it also takes cues from like outside glossy packaging that has been like amping up their game ever since Shabani decided to kick all the other yogurts to the curb with their redesign. So I don't know. I think it's great to like kind of see a take on something that we definitely take for granted. Like, or even like Trader Joe's. Do we ever think about like how Trader Joe's is almost all private label? And I think like I saw an article about that recently. I would love to look into that more. Yeah, I'm going to have to see if I can find that because it was interesting. I I'd really never paid attention to that. I don't go to Trader Joe's all the time. There isn't always one near me. But I've certainly been, and when you go in, I really didn't realize how few outside brands exist there. Very few. And, like, they don't carry many products when they do carry outside brands. Also, I love Churjo's. Did you know, this is just fun fact, this is not design related, that there was, like, Trader Joe's cargo company that would take Trader Joe's and bring it to Canada because people in Canada freaking love Trader Joe's so much they would pay extra to get like Trader Joe's imported to them wait so like they were smuggling Trader Joe's across the border yeah I don't know how legal this was or anything but that's basically what that's kind of awesome what the heck like a pirate Joe's situation that's awesome that might have been the name of it I don't know but I was very (laughs) amused when I found out about it so yeah this is just a cool article that we definitely recommend checking out to anyone interested in packaging design food tell you where things are going I think that is what is most appealing yeah for sure and you know it's always well written and it's from I on design next fun internet link we got fontsinthewild.com I had trouble tracking down who designed this but it is exciting nonetheless it is kind of like if anyone's familiar with fontsanduse.com it shows fonts being used on the internet and where they're being used which is really great to get inspired to try uh, some new fonts and typefaces out and so this is just like a great gallery of fonts being used on the web and then it tells you what fonts are being used and you can be like hey i love the look and feel on that maybe i want to adopt something similar for something i'm creating it's kind of cool too because this is one of those things where like a lot of people think well that already exists and so why would i make a new thing and this is a great mm-hmm. example of it was her own take on it so I, I found by checking out the source code that this was made by somebody named Megan Martin. Awesome. And I, I think I actually follow her on Twitter and just didn't even realize. She's a designer and a creative dev in San Francisco. Very and cool. it's such a good example of, you know what? It's still worth making something that exists because you are the one making it and you are going to put your own twist on it. I do love the twist that makes us distinct from like fonts and use is that you can sort by free fonts that are being used in the exemplar. You can sort by Google fonts or Adobe fonts. And those are probably the three most accessible categories because they don't require you to go out and buy a license if you have a license to Adobe. So I think that's awesome. And it also just proves that free fonts can look freaking great if you choose some quality ones and you have a great typographer behind the typesetting of it. Always love to see it. Definitely like... I think, oh yeah, I think I found one of the fonts I included for the members this week by going through all these awesome 
screenshots being like that is a cool open source font i didn't know Isn't that so just you went through all of them huh every single one a few of them that were very cool <laughs> and that i've never seen before because you know some of them i just see just from being like ah oh, yeah everyone's using poppins right now but then others i was like hmm. this is one of those things too that really shows me what the current trends are yeah and i particularly hate the current trends i oh you it. don't you don't hate the agatha christie art deco trend i mean i still kind of do as much as i love <laughs> agatha christie which i'm literally reading right now it's on my bedside <laughs> table and i absolutely love art deco because i grew up on the rocketeer i just don't get this is now just a designer rant of my whole opinion i don't really get the usage of them in like modern products like so much of it does not make any sense to me there's micah yelling on the porch at the young kids taking the font get your fonts off my lawn i mean and yeah I, i think that's fair i think obviously we will see and continue to see people using fonts that they think look cool in one application that don't make sense necessarily conceptually and sometimes functionally in other situations yeah and let's be honest my opinion is my opinion you know i feel that i feel that i think something that we both share an opinion on is that this website is cool okay (laughs) (laughs) next link i'm like unreasonably excited about this you found it i had never heard of this thing before and so it's a font foundry fonts.lol which is hilarious to me and they specialize in color fonts and so this particular thing that that you found that we're linking to it's a font called letterboard which this is for sure the kind of thing that would normally be like in in the members section but we were just like this is too darn cool you can get a personal license for this font for free to use for personal projects. A commercial license is super cheap. It's only 20 bucks. And what is fascinating about this is I've been wanting to talk about color fonts for a long time. And actually, maybe that would be a neat nerd alert one of these weeks. Color fonts are kind of this weird new technology. It's probably pretty obvious you can bake colors into your fonts. And there's a little bit more to that because it's basically like svg illustrations embedded into otf files and so i've seen other other color fonts and svg fonts that uh, we talked about like a ballpoint pen font the other week and that's an example of something similar to this technology where you can get a lot of interesting design details mixed in whereas a normal font is just black and white binary color fonts and svg fonts let you have gradient information they're certainly not supported everywhere they are literally not at all supported on the web for example (laughs) i didn't know that yeah and they kind of only recently have gotten support in photoshop and illustrator i think illustrator yeah 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 and so whatever this is a very neat tool because because those color fonts have the colors baked into the fonts these folks made a color font generator for their font and so it's this beautiful roman lettering that you'd so it if if someone needs a reference it's based off of the felt black and white letter boards i mean that you used to see in like classrooms that are sometimes trendy and like home decor with like the black felt background and then like the white letters that you stick on there 
Or like a, like an old-fashioned movie theater sign or something like yeah. that. Yeah, right? it has all the bevels of like 3D typography, which makes the colors really add to this. Yes. And so they have built this tool where you can customize the bevel colors. And that in itself doesn't seem crazy. Like if you were making colored bevels in Illustrator, then you could do that and it wouldn't be a crazy process. But the fact that you can do that bake it into a font and then download the font which is free to use for personal stuff is just darn neat i just think this is I, so cool i love to see it and i think like it definitely leaves a lot of room for experimentation and like finally understanding what color fonts are once you have the ability to start editing the colors you can see how this generator really makes color fonts like one step more functional because you don't need to rely on the color that's baked into the font that is how it's typically served to you mm. so very excited about this innovation. And they have a lot of information on color fonts, too. There's kind of a banner at the top that says find out more about color fonts, where and how to use them. And it's kind of an FAQ about who can use them, where, what applications it, work in, it works in, that sort of thing, which mm. is very great. Very, very cool. And I just think this is kind of an untapped category of web tools to customize your fonts like we've yeah. been using technology on servers to do that to make fonts more efficient on websites for a long time like typekit kind of pioneered that technology google uses it now too where they're like taking letters out and features out and serving you a customized version of the font on the server you don't really mm. see that or know that or interact with it. This is a much more like designer facing tool. That's just neat. That's a neat thing. Yeah, I feel like that is why you were, quote, unreasonably excited right. about this. <laughs> I think you're like a little nerdy developer self was like, whoa, Olivia. And you were like, yeah, it's a cool font. Yep, yep, yep. That was, it's usually the other way around for these things, but sure. I was glad I could find something to spark some uh, excitement in you. The next link we got comes straight from Designer News, and that is about a whole new Avenir, the font that like was one of the first fonts I liked that wasn't Helvetica. <laughs> Avenir is one of those classic art school fonts where they're like, "Hey, there's eight good fonts in the world. Here's one of them." And I feel like I feel like so much of the clean cut geometric sans serif that is coming out these days like reminds me of Avenir. If Avenir had a single story A, it could be like the Uber logo, the Airbnb logo. and then Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, and I think this is just important because like Avenir is a font that's one of the few that's available, not with your Adobe Creative Suite. You can use it in a Microsoft Word. It's on your PC, it's on your Apple computer. I think it's important when there's innovations in those as well as the fun fonts that we all use as typographers. But a little backstory is that Avenir was designed by Adrian Frutiger in 1988, and that's when it was released by Monotype. And in 2002, Akira Kobayashi, Monotype's creative director, worked alongside Frutiger to build Avenir Next. And Avenir Next, I believe, is what almost all of us have on our computer these days. Is like, feel like what we're using and that was to help bring it into the modern 21st century and have it be used by digital screens mm -hmm. i think that was pretty much the last iteration of avenir so that was in almost 20 years ago and so next after Avenir next what other word can we tack on to the end of this font avenir it is next, called next. 
Nope. <laughs> well, that would be great. The way, like, I know I was surprised they didn't go with the now because there's like Futura now and Helvetica now, but mm -hmm. Avenir Next turned into Avenir Next World. Very fun. And that is to accommodate all of the languages and scripts that weren't available um, previously in Avenir Next. So the new type family has been expanded to support 10 styles and over 150 languages and scripts. There's Cyrillic, Greek, Hebrew, Arabic. A lot of this stuff is the impetus for a lot of these fonts to be expanding is to have more international access you know we live in an increasingly virtual digital and as they say borderless world and so to have compatibility amongst all these languages kind of brings a lot of you know equity to a font these days i think mm -hmm. that's why we see a lot of custom typefaces is because they can't find you know the ones that are coming out of the box with all of these language support so that's pretty exciting i think there's more weights to it which is exciting for all the people that just love avenir next and may not be using it for the other language capabilities and it's just like a cool new thing that i wanted to tell the world about yeah i think it's especially helpful that it's such a utilitarian typeface to have yeah. something that is super functional in all of these languages granted it's not the only one but it's a very useful one it's great and, you know, Avenir, it's hard to dislike it, so. And I gotta say the, uh, so, you know, this, we're linking to this article that is talking about it, and in that is the link to the actual site where you can find out about it and and buy it. And if you go to Monotype's site for this, they have a really beautiful, like, introduction video Ooh, that they made. I see. It's definitely worth watching. A lot Good of, you know, tip. there's screenshots of it, but it's it's really fun to watch. And frankly, it's not even that expensive. You can get it on my fonts. I mean, it is kind of like a professional level font, right? And mm -hmm. considering how massive and supporting it is, it looks like you can get the whole family for $250, which I feel like is in that category, That's, at least yeah. reasonable. Considering like how extensive it can be and just how flexible. Love to hear that. And our next article is going to be a really nice lead-in to our nerd alert. Next up, we have Oh No Type Co's blog post called Proof It. So Oh No Type Co is a very admirable foundry creating some of like every designer's favorite typefaces right now. Definitely very funky, lots of great display faces. And uh, I think James Edmondson, who runs Oh No Type Co, really does a great job of making sure he has a voice in the next generation of type designers. So he is consistently working on type design education that is accessible and easily available on the internet. And one of those things is this article here called Proof It. And it talks about what a design type design proof is. And so uh, a type design proof in short, you'll definitely learn it from this article. And, and he describes it as kind of like a sketch, a uh, means to an end. But basically it is a document that shows your typeface and that would usually be in progress being used and being typeset with words, maybe with different sized words, some large heading sized words, some paragraphs, and then you'll see it in spacing strings, which we'll describe again. And you'll see every drawn character and it'll be large enough on this document so someone could take notes. And so basically it's not never a finished project. You're Type design is never going to be perfect. And I think he says funny something funny. He says, if your type design doesn't have any notes, it's just a specimen. <laughs> so that's fair. I think but... I think the context for, for anybody who isn't super up to speed on this is that 
as you're designing a typeface, especially designing on screen, almost every type design teacher I have ever met has said, print it out, look at it on the wall, look at it on paper, look at it in real life. And so these proofs are basically a very common practice in type design student-teacher relationships and courses and stuff like that to say, okay, you're working on this thing. Let's start giving you feedback. So print out everything that you have, all the characters, some paragraphs, some headlines, what the spacing looks like, as much as you can, and, and print it out so that we can look at it, critique it, see it in context, and give notes so that you can go back and improve it and do another iterate. Totally. I think James makes a really excellent point when he says a proof is a gazillion times more helpful than handing over a font file to someone. Hmm. A proof is is you know what someone can critique once because no one's looking at a typeface form by form by form A then B then C. When someone looks at a typeface in real life, it's gonna be in different settings, different formats, different sizes, and that's why a proof is so necessary for the type design process. I did proofs, I know, when I was designing my own typeface and I'd bring them to class and then you yourself will see things once you put something on a wall and stand back and see it in a string of words and figure out spacing. So I definitely think that's necessary, especially to anyone that is is working on their own type design and wanna ask someone else to view it. A lot of type designers are very open to helping students with their work, but a proof is the best way to help them help you. That's a great way to put it. I have to say, too, there was a there was a tiny tip in here that I did not know about that I was super impressed by. There's a section here for other resources with a few like useful tools. And the last one on that list is idiotproofed.com. Mm-hmm. I had never seen this tool before. And they literally describe it as... It was created so that we'd never need to open InDesign again. And it's just this really awesome, very simple site. At least the interface is like understandable is what I mean by simple. And you can load up your font from your computer and jump between pangrams and spacing and letters and kerning and adjust a bunch of sliders, turn a bunch of features on and off and save it and like send a link to that of it i love that and i've never seen this before and it's beautiful like it's so simple and beautiful very cool and gives you your kerning proofs and all of that oh i recognize all these documents yeah oh and it's open source the tool is open source keeps getting better and better love it very nice and i love the feature on that that allows you to save with a date your proof because i feel like that's really important sometimes you're working on type design so long you can't keep track of what was before the before or before the before the before right so the the article goes over all the things that are necessary for a proof it makes proof successful and so he gives lots of great tips and tricks for creating your proof and one of them is to understand spacing strings. Spacing strings take into account control characters, and control characters are what our nerd alert is about today. Now is the time to take a break and say thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. 
and uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. So it is time. Control characters, a.k.a. the first letters that are used when designing a font by many type designers. Not everybody. Every designer does their own thing. But generally, there are these four characters that are being used. So this is a concept that a lot of type designers use to figure out where do you start with a font. Because it's kind of like looking at an empty piece of paper, right? And yeah. that's always the hardest place to start writing. And the same with designing something. And so there's kind of a common pattern of which characters will help you get started, right? And they call those the control characters. Exactly. And if we kind of want to reverse engineer what a font is, if you look at a font, you will notice that there are modular parts to each letter design that is repeated in other parts with other letters. Take, for example, and it's not a direct re repetition, but if you look at a D, a lowercase d, you rotate that lowercase d 180 degrees, you're going to get P? P, yeah. Exactly. So, But look, like a D can have similar elements to a P or a B. Yeah, or a Q. Or a Q. You know, that's, yeah. that's all something that we can observe by just looking at letter forms. A Q has DNA that goes back to an O. There's just kind of wonderful web. And so by taking that into account, you'll realize when you start your font, I don't want to have to draw every single individual letter from scratch every time I want to add a new letter to my alphabet. I want to have a system that makes sense where I can borrow from other letters to make a, you know, a beautiful set of 26 letters, not just a set of 26 beautiful letters. So where do we start? Where's the most logical place to start? Generally, we start with lowercase because that defines uh, the most personality in your typeface if you're going to have lowercase in it and the most logical letters are a lowercase n and a lowercase o and that is because the end the n has a lot of information already in it it has you know our proportions with our x height it has the width of our vertical strokes it has what the shoulders look like in our letter forms what it looks like when a vertical meets a curve you know it has the top curve profile of the end and it will also allow for us to start thinking about spacing the side bearing on the n will relate to the side bearing on the h and the side bearing is this, is the space that's built into a font that's on either side of hmm. that's why an n's so great and then we look at the o so the so there's always going to be round characters and there's basically three different kinds of characters in lowercase there's the round, the straight, and the diagonal. And then there's mixes of all those. Hmm. And so the O, you make an N and an O, you can kind of predict maybe what a B will start to look like, what the skeletal form will look like. So the N and the O really kind of direct you to how to design several other letters. And the side bearings of the O can be used to make the side bearings of the B or the Q or the C or the E. Yeah, a lot of information. Character. Exactly. You start getting a lot of information. And I think from there, you can use those forms to, 
you know, inform other forms. And then, you know, eventually you might not be done with the lowercase. You might have it mostly done. Eventually you need to move to uppercase and the capital H and the capital O also give lots of great information about your capital letters as well, which generally have less small minutia, distinct details as the lowercase, but that capital H capital O, you get, you know, your cap height, you get your overshoot. There's so much, so much great stuff in those four letters. And if you don't know what all this terminology is, that is okay. Part of the point here is just these are great letters to start drawing with. And many people before us have suggested that these give you a lot of things that you will need moving forward. Exactly. And so, you know, after that, there are some type designers that use the common test word Hamburg Fontsiv because that combination of letters kind of, you know, has a great variety of the different ways your letters will be moving and um, forming throughout your alphabet. It has your diagonals in there. It has, you know, the top of the F. It has the uh, tail of the G, how that's designed. It's very informative. Or adhesion is a common another one. Hmm. Some type designers like to go beyond just H and O. Matthew Carter begins with his lowercase H, lowercase O, then follows it with a P, a D, and a V. So he puts the diagonals in his starting letters so we can start defining that. But then other people d- avoid the diagonals in the early stage of the design process because they're so visually distinct and they can kind of stump you with some of the optical issues that they can arise. Other people start also with the letter A because the letter A is super common in our alphabets. And so they want to make sure they have that solid before they move on to other letters. It's it's kind of funny how everyone has their own quirks. But generally, going back to what we were talking about earlier, these spacing strings, you know, understanding the spacing and the alternating form and counter form of making words and typesetting is so important and it's just as important to the letter forms itself. So O and N are great for understanding spacing. And what you can do is make these spacing strings. So you can put your letters, your whole alphabet, you can do, you can typeset O, then A, then O, then B, then O, then C. And you can see what all your letters look like next to a round character to understand how the typographic color is going to arise and you can do the same thing with an n and understand how every character looks like next to a vertically kind of set letter and by color if anybody isn't familiar with that we sort of just mean the evenness of the spacing like one of the things Mm -hmm. that a teacher once taught me in the beginning was to squint so that you're not looking directly at the letters but you're kind of just judging how the negative space to the colors of the letters and you're kind of going for something that is generally uniform so that your eye doesn't like jump to a gap here and then jump to a very strong dark color here and like it's jumping around by having an even color it helps you read the letters and the words yes and there's like some sort of rhythm to it i think a good example i've seen in typefaces that have issues with typographic color is that when you design you know letters in a silo maybe you want to have fun with the tail of the t and maybe you make the tail of the t really wide you make the crossbar kind of not so wide but has a lot of character has a lot of personality well then you start typesetting that and if you look like at a word let's say like hatchet everything will feel very rhythmic And then you have your T in the middle and there's going to be this big gap in a word that may not seem like a big deal. But once you typeset that, once you proof it, Mm -hmm. 
then you start seeing how important it is. And I think one last note from the blog post from Ono Type Co. is he created a side note that said, when there is a spacing error on a control character, there is a crack in the foundation, the whole house must be rebuilt. It just it's just goes to show how important they are, right? Exactly. Because so many other characters borrow little pieces from these first characters. If you're borrowing pieces that are a little bit off, then suddenly everything's a little bit off. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I know it sounds like the minutia, but it really does start building the foundation for what you need to make a successful typeface with great forms as well as great spacing. I have to say, too, that that concept was a thing that I don't think anybody really explicitly said to me when I was starting out either, that you don't draw the full letters. Yeah, I don't think that was taught to me either because I remember having to repeat a lot of my drafts for my letters. Like, I don't think I did modular forms the way I think I first saw when you and Thomas taught the type design course. Mm, yeah, that's just a thing that doesn't come up enough and is probably yeah. such a intimidating part to thinking about, I'm going to make a whole font. I have to draw every single letter. That's that's a lot. Mm -hmm. And when you start thinking about it as, actually, it's, it's so similar to code mm. oh like, you're so right you write a little piece and then reuse it as much as possible yeah. which you know a lot of programmers enjoy calling themselves lazy for that reason it's like hey let's do as little work as possible to get the best possible output but i mean that's how professional type designers like they they need that system to crank out work in an efficient manner right <laughs> like it's it's a necessary part it's not just a shortcut like i really it's, do think it's that's efficiency part and it's quality exactly because if you're exactly. reusing pieces and those pieces are good then all of the pieces that use it are also good yeah i mean it's simple to start thinking about this in sans serif terms if you think about your serif definition on your lowercase n that defines so much of your serif definitions for the rest of the alphabet if because you have the a serif inside font, of the serif could be different than the outside of the serif the top think about, might be different than the bottom i love that in cooper black none of the serifs are flat they all have this like roundedness to them so they never sit flat on a baseline imagine if that was like different from the n to the a to the like it would start feeling really inconsistent so you can start seeing how just if you, i just saw the lowercase n of cooper black you could go to some links to figure out some of the other lowercase letters there it feels a little bit like a cheat code to yes. better quality fonts that you're trying to make that's that, a great alternate name to this episode <laughs> right like like if you were drawing those by hand they would naturally come out different and then yes. While that doesn't seem awful, our eyes are so used to reading whatever language we are used to reading mm -hmm. that you, just as a reader, not even as a type designer, will notice the tiniest detail. And you won't necessarily know what is off, but something will be off. Mm -hmm. And it's it, that's yeah, it's like a it's like a cheat code. Like reusing these pieces is a cheat code to keep that consistency a little bit better than you could by hand. I love that. I love it too. What a great nerd alert, my friend. I love teaching about this kind of stuff because there's so many people that want to get into type design and it feels like such an intimidating thing. Totally. 
Good heckin' work. Thanks, my friend. You had the great idea of doing it this week. It's definitely not a concept that we are going to just let drift away. We'd like to revisit this sometime soon, so keep your eyes out for something like that if you are inspiring or new or novice type. Yeah. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Always fun. I was going to say fun as always. So Love it. Absolutely. All right, guys. Until next week. Do 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 do